We who are about to die salute you. Happy Monday, everybody. We are about halfway through Moratory Mondays. This is episode 15, where uh, Chris and Chris are going to break down Strike Force Moratory number 15. How are you doing this week, Chris? Oh, let me tell you how I'm doing. It's getting me going. It's keeping me moving on <laughs> on my system. I'm plugging on and on. There you go. Sounds like you need <laughs> some TLC, maybe a little TLC. <laughs> Maybe later at the end of the show, maybe we'll have some TLC. Who knows? <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> no, I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, you know what? I'm super excited to get dip into some moratory Monday after a busy week uh, at work dealing with the, uh, the 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 troubles of the universe. Yes. But I guarantee you, there'll be none of this on this show because we're excited no. and we're ready to talk some Strike Force moratory. Yeah, and we're almost be. halfway, brother. Just about, just about. We're on the cusp of the halfway point here, and uh, it's been a little bit of a uh, sad week here. Uh, I'm still dealing with uh, pangs of loss over Schitt's Creek. How about oh, you? Oh, boy. Now, I have not seen the entire episode as of yet, but uh, okay. I'm about three quarters of the way through, so I haven't seen the finale, but I think they've already spoiled it on the commercial for me. So, yeah, it, yeah I, I will agree. A fabulous, fabulous show. I mean... You talk about the levies and uh, what they mm. what they did with not only their own career, but uh, boosting the careers of Moira and the entire gang. Oh boy, unbelievable! Oh, absolutely, it's been it's been a highlight of uh, of the television viewing for the past you know five or six years, and uh, the seasons are just they're, they're regrettably short. They're only thirteen or fourteen episodes each. And but I think uh, I think that's what lie. keeps I think that's what keeps us vital though. So there's it's just, true. It's true. You, it keeps you anticipating every single show, and if you haven't seen Shit's Creek, you oh, really, shit. really, really have to uh, get uh, get on the go with Johnny Rose and his family as they take over the little motel and take it over from Rolling Shit. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's a fact. And it's uh, <laughs> me and the wife. We watched it on uh, Wednesday. Uh, it's on here on the Pop Network either Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which. We always watch it, uh, you know, uh, on the DVR or on demand, so we don't have to deal with commercials and stuff. <laughs> and uh, we uh, watched it the same night as we watched the series finale of Modern Family. Oh. Uh, did you ever watch Modern Family? Now, no. That is one show that I may have seen two episodes of the entire run. Okay. I uh, don't know if I'm a fan, but it always sticks out to me as something that I'm going to be going back to. So it, it looks like it got enough of a buzz. And I, and I know every single character every time I see him on TV. I'm like, oh, Modern Family, Modern Family. But I can't relate it to anything. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, that show has been on life support for about five years now. So, oh, ter- uh, terrible, bad show. Uh, they, no, the show started off awesome. It was an awesome show starting off. A lot of fun. Um, the real, uh, just interesting dynamic between all these characters. It was just a pleasure to watch for the first. Uh, it, it it ran eleven seasons. I'd say like the first five or six were are kind of like must see. They're really good. So um, do they do they struggle from um, cousin theory? Halfway, no. uh, halfway through. 
You know, they did, new characters and they they did the, the new new children were introduced, um, side characters were introduced. So yeah, they did add to the cast, but they also fell into that other, uh, you know, TV tropey thing where they all became kind of cartoon characters. Oh no! So so they yeah. So basically, a lot of shows. If you don't know what we're talking about, there's a lot of tropes that that occur during regular sitcoms. And you know, back in the '80s, we got to see a lot of them, especially with the Cosby Show. Oh so sure. When, it, when, when the cast, yeah. yeah, Full House. When cast became interchangeable, or people had to leave because of contracts or or other situations or what have you, they would always replace them, and they'd have this mysterious cousin who would show up, <laughs> yeah. or. Or, or even better, a character who wasn't supposed to be popular will all of a sudden take off in popularity, and then the show began to center around the certain people. So Steve Big Urkel. Bang, yeah, yes, Steve Urkel, Happy Days, right, right on back to the farms. You sure. had, uh, yeah, Family Matters had Steve Urkel. It all became the Urkel Show, basically, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, every, everything, everything changes over time, and sometimes it's to the fans' detriment. But uh, hopefully, by the sound of it, it was to the fans' detriment. If if you're only halfway through and you're, the last five seasons were on life support, that doesn't sound promising. Yeah, it's like uh, like one of the kids was like a nerd, so like her entire character became about like you know solving quantum theories and stuff. And uh, another one was a ditz, so she became like a total vapid airhead. Without they they just went from three dimensional characters to one dimensional characters. And uh, watching that because that that finale was two hours long. Wow, long for a finale. sitcom, that is crazy. Long finale. Um, and we watched that, and then immediately followed it up with Shit's Creek, and it was like going from just like the the most dumb, dismal thing in the world to something that I actually like. I'm mourning the loss of because Shit's Creek was uh, just awesome the entire oh, way yeah. through. Yeah, and, that uh, came that came out of nowhere. That was a uh, oh for sure. That was that was a CBC show here in Canada, and yeah. uh, CBC is not known for their breakout material. Trust me. <laughs> So uh, speaking speaking as a Canadian, you know, when when things break out here in Canada and become popularized in the U.S., it's it's a cause for celebration. It's like, yeah, yeah. they like our stuff. <laughs> Not only bare naked ladies for two songs, they <laughs> like know. our Shit's Creek. So when Wait, I saw Shit's, yeah, go ahead. Bare naked ladies have more than two songs. Oh, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it was, one, it was, one day I'm going to do one of my stirring renditions of a Stephen Page Bare Naked Lady song and <laughs> and tune thy reels, sir. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Is we uh, we were watching um, back like the channel that uh, Shoots Creek is on here is Pop, the Pop channel, which used to be the Soap Opera Network or TV Guide channel, which kind of took over the programming from the Soap Opera channel. So you'd have like uh, like three or four hours of like 90210 in the midday. Ooh, ooh. Yes, sir. And, Good. Oh, hey. Me and the wife were me and the wife were hooked on that show. Celebration. Uh, it was one of those shows that I was kind of embarrassed to tell my wife I liked because you know it's 90210. But uh, and she made fun of me for it at first, but then she watched it and fell in love with it. And uh, we kept seeing these commercials for Shit's Creek during Beverly Hills 90210. We're like, what in the hell could this be? And uh, <laughs> They kept showing like the same commercial over and over again, and it looked like it would be the most annoying thing ever. But we watched it and and instantly fell in love with the show. It's 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 really a wonderful show, and if you haven't, it's like the the Strike Force moratory of a of a half hour uh, comedies here. If you haven't seen it, make 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 it your uh, your mission to uh, to check it out. It's on a bunch of the streaming uh, scenarios out there. It is the rebirth of Eugene Levy, sir, and it For is sure. amazing, amazing. And Dan Levy breaks out as a megastar, so there you oh, go. Oh God, yeah, no, awesome, awesome Man. stuff. So, yeah, so that is a uh, that is my uh, sad 
tale of woe for the week. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we have uh, another tale to tell, and uh, we're going to open it up with an update on our recruits. All right. So before we begin, I'm just going to do a little recap so everybody is caught up so you can get the full emphasis of this particular episode. Mm-hmm. So in the last in the last few weeks, we saw one half of our recruits uh, use dimensional portals to return to Moritori Earth 87. Now, two recruits, their Dreamscape and Med, had previously jumped to an alternate dimension and they were avoiding a swarm of horde invaders. Of course, they found themselves in a difficult situation. Uh, Dreamscape used his powers and he created a portal and got them the heck out of Dodge. Now, of course, they ended up finding themselves in Soviet Russia, where another war, a parallel war, was taking place as well with something called the Red Watch. So it mirrored a lot of what we saw with the Black Watch of Moratory Earth, just a little different. Mm-hmm. Now, during this battle, of course, they when they got there, they realized, OK, we got to get the heck out of here as well. But before they did, they saved an injured soldier named Splintered Red. Now, he's a giant armored, almost cable like character from battle and when they teleported they came to a very familiar part of the world which they you know they they laid their ground on and they met up with something called the red watch and their leader was harold everson who was long deceased he was known as viking from the early early part of our moratory story that we cover here and uh he was very much alive so it's definitely a parallel parallel universe version of him but very very much alive and along with the original black watch members so Mm. When they got their bearings around them, they formulized a plan. They want to jump back in time to Earth, you know, back to Earth proper in 87. And they want to bring their newly found tech that they've been eradicating the Horde with back in time. So they're actually going to do some time travel, Terminator style, and go back and wipe out this Horde at their source. So now the the recruits, our new recruits, were flanked by a very much alive Harold Everson, two members of the Black Watch. And uh, they're headed to Moratory Labs via Portal. They're going to visit the process creator, Dr. Tu Lima, who uh, couldn't believe his eyes when he gets to see them as they teleport into the laboratory. Now, things start to go bad as we get to see that the Red Watch and Fake Herald, uh, (laughs) their mood changes. (laughs) And they reveal they're not here for any pleasure cruise. They're not not even not what they seem. In fact... um, they're, they're Hordian traitors, so they're, they're actually working for the Horde. So these new recruits, Med and Dreamscape, have to deal with these Horde people who are now dead center in the heart of a very much unprotected Moratory Labs. Now, Dreamscape takes a turn himself. So Dr. Tulima is shot by his own recruit, Dreamscape, leaving only Med to defend for himself. Now, we get to see that secrets are unveiled when Foe Herald uses forces Med to use his powers, his powers of resuscitation, so he can bring people back to life and different healing powers. And he has to revive a fallen Hordian leader, which has, and the reason for them coming to the lab in the first place, is one of their Hordian commanders, the dead body, was in the laboratory being tested on. So now with the leader now revived, Med's usefulness, of course, to uh, to this renegade team is no longer. So Harold. Just before we pulled the plug on last week's episode, ordered his death. But before tragedy could strike, another portal opens up. And guess who it is? It's good old Splinter Red, who managed to stay behind. And we thought that he was pulling a fast one on his own recruits and up to something. But he was not only up to something, he was actually protecting his team members. So he arrives ready for battle, full cable armor, with a large shoulder cannon over his shoulder. And despite the recruits' apprehension about their Soviet friend... This guy's no Hordian supporter. He's out for blood. 
But before we dive back in there, we're going to touch base with our other two team members who are still escaping, getting in a dodge in the Hordian's uh, sanitation vehicle. So we meet up with Forcefield and Longshot. And of course, they are as well fleeing uh, the Horde troopers. So Horde troopers are tracking them down. They're on hover bikes. But they're in a sanitation truck and they're barreling their way down through the forest. So they actually had to take a turn to evade their pursuers. Now, Lockshot leaps back into the back of the vehicle, blows out the back window with his eye blasts, and he starts shooting these people, one at, like shooting ducks. So as they're flying towards him, he manages to take out at least three of them with his blasts and even knocks down several trees trying to create barriers and obstacles just to slow the people from coming at him. But the vehicle sways and rocks as they hit bumps because they're in the woods. They don't even have a clear path. This guy is just driving with the pedal to the metal. And, you know, the other guys are flying through the forest on the hover bikes, chasing them down. You know, Force Field uh, manages to place the vehicle in a protective barrier because that's his powers. He can actually put shields over everything. So he's trying to protect himself. But, you know, he's getting bombarded with blasts. He's getting hit with trees. Stuff is slapping all over the place. And they manage to get, you know, they manage to shake shake loose their uh, their pursuers. So Lockshot starts to celebrate and it appears they have shaken them off. But celebration is short-lived because Force Field screams. He tries to slam on the brakes because they were at the end of a cliff embankment that they couldn't see, almost like your GPS thing this last week. <laughs> but it's too late for the brakes, and the vehicle skids off the cliff, sending our hero, sanitation vehicle and all, plunging to their doom. Now, here's where it gets good. Back at Moratory Labs, we get to see Med, and he's uh, he's in harm's way, but Splinter Red moves into position. Foe Herald and the Hordian commander stand defiant, and they laugh at the two remaining recruits. As the door opens, they hear seemingly waves of in- incoming Hordian troopers in the hallways. I mean, they're commencing on them. Splinter Red motions to Med to get behind him as he locks his cannon on the Hordian commander and fake Herald. Now, Med looks around in horror, and this room is starting to fill up with Hordian warriors. And they're, they're surrounding the uh, the commander and, and evil Harold. Now, Harold grins as his army swarms the laboratory. He motions the Dreamscape, his fellow traitor, and orders him to seal off the room and trap them in. Trap in his remaining teammates so they can overwhelm them. Standing over the fallen, murdered Dr. Tulima, which he killed, he's surrounded by a sea of dead scientists as well that occupied the room. Splinter Red opens his mask and grins. He goes, Comrade Dream, time to turn the lights on. Dreamscape smiles and he begins to shine his energy all around and the bodies, including Talima, disappear as if there were a illusion the entire time. He opens up a portal on his right and out comes sanitation vehicle and all, lock shot and force field and they crash land right in the middle of the laboratory. Both men emerge, they, they get together and as they can see, all the good guys, as they get their bearings, they're standing together once, once and for all. So all our recruits, well, except one who who passed on, are all together. You know, Fake Harold laughs as he reveals himself as the Hordian warrior, and he lowers his chameleon device so he can actually see that he is actually a Horde warrior who is just concealing himself. He adjusts his communicator so he can speak in English. He said, this is where it ends, humans, the last stand of the moratory. We will be triumphant for our warriors. You cannot stand. You must submit to us now or perish. Anyway, he says, five against an army. Those odds cannot be overcome. The battle has ended, and it belongs to Thunderfist. That's the Hordian commander. Splinter Red, however, has alternate plans. He laughs to, he laughs to the horror of his teammates, and they're, they're pretty panicked. He says, five against an army, you say? You forgot about our sixth moratory. Commander Beth, showtime. The entire lab disappears, and we see the entire lab is just an illusion. Everyone finds themselves 
in the middle of the garden. Hmm. The horde looks on in shock as this is an elaborate trap. The garden foliage very much comes alive. Uh, is this with this living weapon, this ecosystem, and the essence of Beth Neon, and the ultimate battle is about to begin. Next Ooh. is the last stand of the moratory. How about that? You zigged instead of zagged there. Yes, sir. So uh, Mr. Splinter Red had a plan the entire time. He's been living in the past, and uh, he came mm-hmm. up with a plan. He just had to lure these people into position, and bam, right to the garden, ready for slaughter. Love it. Fantastic. Wow, but that is not the only Moritori story for today. How <laughs> we... We get to hop into the actual issue we're going to be covering here. Now, that one is Strike Force Moratory number 15, cover dated February 1988. And uh, the title is dot, 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 that is the question. Okay. Boy, they're not wrong. They are not. Um, now, story, Peter B. Gillis, pencils, Brent Anderson, inks, Al Williamson, letters, Phil Felix, colors, The Honeymoon's Over, Max Scheel, uh, edits, Carl Potts, The Cheese, Tom DeFalco, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. We have for two regions where this uh, book is uh, shown as on sale. There's been a price increase. Ugh. This is yeah. This has gone up to one dollar USD and up to a dollar twenty-five Canadian while staying forty p in the UK. That's because so, nobody knows what forty p means anyway. That could be an does. arbitrary number. Though is it ten dollars one week <laughs> and five dollars the next? We don't know. It's just forty p. Who cares? That's it. It's you might have it in your pocket. You might not. Um, <laughs> now this one went on sale on October sixth, nineteen eighty eight, and uh, this cover. Uh, I'm not a fan. How about you? I can't, you know what? This is the third uh, such cover when you see Moratori draped in some fashion of vines or fighting some vines or fighting a garden, you know what I mean? Or fighting some monsters. Sure. So this cover is somewhat familiar. Uh, I didn't mind it so much, but yeah, I'll tell you what, it is getting a little old. I will tell you that for sure. Yeah, like if, if I was still digging through the bins for this book, uh, you know, I would think every time I saw this one, I would think I had it already. And, Absolutely. Uh, this this it, appears to be one of the early early ten 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 issues or whatever. Yeah, it just looks so similar. And on it here, uh, the the moratorium, they're fighting some uh, rather perverted looking tentacle covered hordes <laughs> that uh, we will meet as we get deeper into the story here. Um, now the solicitation for this issue doesn't necessarily spoil anything, so we can uh, we can actually share it at the start here. Uh, the solicitation reads. They were transformed into Earth's greatest heroes, knowing that they would die within 12 months as a fatal side effect. Now, one of the moratory, Radian, has a chance to find a cure for the terminal consequences. But his quest for that cure may cut the lives of his teammates even shorter when he leads them into a trap set by a band of super-powered alien Hordians. And yeah. uh, that, Is that so hard? Is that so hard, Chris? Is that so hard to make one paragraph about a book you're trying to sell? Well, it would have been better if the solicitation for this this solicitation was like three issues back because it ex- <laughs> it, it describes that story instead of this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Radium, he led them into a trap like what, like five months recording time and like three months <laughs> issue time. Way back in season one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> But uh, here we were being revisited by it here. And just like last time with the bullpen bulletins, we had like we had the blurb for issue 16, which we're not even going to cover till next time. So <laughs> such a disaster with the, with the, the way <laughs> Mar- Marvel together. Comics did not care one iota about they this book. Not, 
no, no sooner, no, no sooner did our man Shooter leave than they. This just, <laughs> this was <laughs> a, a very, very low priority. Um, ugh, I don't even know if uh, the cheese even knew this was coming out. Um, now into our story proper here, and uh, our story does open inside a church, and uh, there we meet our man Louis Arminetti or Louis Arminetti, and uh, he is here to ask some tough questions. Uh-huh. Yes, he's approached by a nun, and she instantly recognizes him as one of the Morituri. He asks her if suicide in the form of undergoing the Morituri process is tantamount to a mortal sin of despair. And uh, well, that's, that's the question that I ask my nuns every time I see them. <laughs> I don't know true. about you. It's Excuse true. Me. Excuse to me, know. ma'am. Uh, I'm just wondering if this moratory process is tantamount to the mortal sin of despair. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. It does. It really does. Uh, now, she assures him that it is not. And uh, she attempts to assuage his concerns by talking about uh, how all a number of brave sacrifices that have been made throughout history, you know, naming some holy martyrs and uh, whatnot, just to uh, try to set his fears aside here that, you know, he is doing something for the right reason. And it's not it's not the same as if he just, you know, put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. Absolutely. Now, he reframes the question and then he asks if hypothetically if it were possible to maybe get out of this pending doom and he chose not to, would that then be a sin? Which is interesting food for thought here. And uh, she asks him to maybe sit down for a bit so he can elaborate because she doesn't really quite understand the scope of his question. But he declines. He uh, chooses to leave the church and head back to base instead. I like that Louis conflicted. You know, when you think about traitors, he's not a traitor in a classic sense. So, all he wants to do, basically, I mean, his his motive is is admirable. So he wants it's to find altruistic. a cure. Yeah, yeah. He he wants to find a cure, not just for himself, but for everybody. But he can't seem to pull the trigger on the damn thing, which is no. which is such a shame. But no one knows how much damage that Louis has actually done <laughs> by trying to do this. So inadvertently, he's actually caused deaths. You know, in in his yeah. wakes, in his search for the cure. So I mean, you can squarely place the deaths of Robert and Jaylene on, on you know Louis's ignorance. I mean, he has literally the weight of the world on his shoulders, and that's why he's in church hoping to uh, you know back off some of that drama off him. So sure, yeah, Robert, Jaylene, and also the hundred of uh, workers in Moritori Mountain. I mean, uh, he's got a lot of lives, uh, you know, squarely on his shoulders here. Uh, now we jump back to base and. Uh, Stop us if you heard this one before. Uh, we get a scene that uh, is getting a little bit long in the tooth here, if we're being honest. It's <laughs> it's a training sequence in which uh, wow, command- <laughs> right? How novel! Uh, now during uh, during this scene here, Commander Yuri makes the Murray work in ways to where they can <gasps> make all their powers work together in order to attain a goal. And uh, it's like we're getting this like every issue now, isn't it? This is like a workshop, a strike force moratory workshop. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. The writer seems adamant about, you know, for some reason wanting to specifically fill those readers in on their power sets for every moratory. Yeah. You know, there's easier ways to do this at the cost of the story, man. Just think about one of the, and here, here's me. I'm actually going to say it. So some of the books published today actually do things right. So they actually have a little chunk of storyline in a little tiny page. That recaps where our heroes are and what you know what we should know about certain characters. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? 
I mean, that's for that's sure. necessary. Marvel Marvel specifically does a pretty good job of filling the reader in, you know, where where they pick up. Now, is it is it the best way to do it? Should you be able to follow the story and understand? Yes, you should. But in the event of, uh, you know, the tragedy that is 2020 comics, it, yeah. it's a good, useful tool. So why not have a story recap instead of every single time having to put people through a training session? To show sure. off their powers. I mean, come on, this is this is burning valuable time. I, I like that you called it a workshop because it's almost like Gillis is challenging himself to come up with creative ways to have them work together. It's uh, oh, oh, they're stretching the bounds here for sure, for sure. Now, the task that Yuri gives them is to stop an oncoming train as quickly and as painlessly as possible. Um, to start, Sheer, our, our Seth Rollins-looking fellow, here he he attempts to carve his way through the tunnel. But he's not strong enough. I mean, his powers his powers seem a little bit limited than I thought originally. I didn't expect yeah. him to be able to stop the train, per se, you know what I mean, or be able to dig an entire tunnel. But I expected him to at least do a little bit more damage with his powers. I mean, <laughs> this guy's got, like, glorified grass-cutting power. So I think I might have slightly overestimated the guy. Now, the ending of this book might uh, might change my mind. But uh, as of right now, I wasn't convinced that Shear was uh, what he says he is. Yeah, it's it's these new uh, members here, and we're going to get deeper into them as we go. They remind me of one of the big problems I have with some of the current year uh, comics here, where you just get these weird ensemble casts, and there's always like a couple of characters who have like the the funny ha ha powers, you know, like yeah. during uh during like the Bendis run on Uncanny X Men, he had gold balls. This uh, <laughs> come on, you're not. This fellow, are you really trying? You're just trying to say balls. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Gold Balls, and he created Gold Balls, which came, which was useful exactly once, you know. And it's like, <laughs> but the rest of the time we get to laugh at that. He he he. We get to write Gold Balls. Th- that's what these these new moratori kind of feel like. Without the crassness, it's just like powers that might come into use once, you know. Um, where like how we wrote off Jaylene early on and turned out that she had like the most adaptable powers that there were of adaptation. This just doesn't feel like something that's going to be of a whole lot of use. Maybe they can prove us wrong uh, or prove me wrong. Um, now Aileen, she hops in and she gives Sheer a hand. Uh, she tries to melt part of the wall away. Man, her powers are, they're badass. And I mean, you know yeah. what, uh, if she's given more time, she can pretty well do the most damage out of all of them, to be quite honest with you. She can sure. melt molecular bonds. So, I mean, she can make stuff melt, basically. So if she had enough time on this train, she could literally dissolve it into thin air. But, you know, it takes time to do that stuff. So yeah, there you go. For sure. Uh, Louis and fake-ass Harold, they team up together, and they try to disrupt the train's laser sensors. And uh, <laughs> goes without saying, they are unsuccessful. You always get this one guy at work who like half asses his efforts, you know. So say for example, you know, you got a you got a team and they're like lifting a very very large unit, but you know, four or five people have to lift this thing. You always get that one guy who sort of got his hands under it. You can tell that he's doing absolutely nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> And when you're talking about fake Harold and Louie, I mean, they're trying to distract sensors? Come on. A light, a light bulb and a deflector. <laughs> Come on. Let's, let's be honest. They prove useless again here. Once again, yes. Now, hard case hardens Brava's arm. And she rushes into, uh, well, to put it bluntly, she runs in to punch the train. Uh this this only men- this only manages to dent the train, not absolutely stop it. 
I mean, it's a decent use of, of hardening powers. I mean, I don't know where you go with hardening powers, but anyway. But why not just harden the entire team and stand in front of the train? Right? No, no. This <laughs> am is, I being am I being stupid here? This is like that uh, that like tired old uh, cliche stand up joke. It's like, hey, if the black box always survives the plane crash, why not just build the whole plane out of the black box? It's <laughs> they, they, I don't know why. It's like let's just use Brava, not not the other eight <laughs> super powered characters here. Um, Sheer, you know, uh, he's a uh, not uh, not satisfied to fail just once. He jumps back into the fray. And he uh, lands on the front of the train, and he attempts to use his powers to cut through it. But he is frozen in place by our man Deguchi, who, uh, in a very weird use of his power, I don't understand this power set here. He says he can sense through Sheer that the train is rigged to explode if Sheer were to cut into it. Ah, huh? so he, so he create well, he's trying to create panic so he doesn't blow up everybody. I guess that's what's happening. But how does he sense that through Sheer? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Sheer knows more than we're letting on. Mm. Ooh, perhaps. Ooh. Um, hard case gets back into the battle here, and he uh, jumps onto the train, and he hardens the laser scopes on the lasers, and this actually seems to work. They, they yep. can't, you know, focus uh, their, uh, their beams. Uh, silencer then... <laughs> dampens the noise so uh louis can zero in on the inner works of the train and then he does something i'm 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 just gonna say it silencer is pointless gold balls there there is gold balls 100 (laughs) percent. there's zero use for this character chris i mean there needs to be something else here i mean all we have right now is is an excuse for a stereotypical african queen with volume control that's yeah. basically what she does i mean mm-hmm. why not have like the strength of a lion or speed or something jesus yeah or or since her since her power is basically powerless is is worthless they should show that you know they yes. should show that it's like it's like yeah make it quiet oh that helped you know yeah <laughs> oh yeah they should play with it absolutely comments. play with yeah. it um, now, Aileen and Sheer, they use their powers in tandem somehow to, again, do something. Uh, it, this isn't clear how they're stopping the train, but whatever they, whatever Louis, Aileen, and Sheer did, it managed to stop the train. Uh, the art doesn't really show exactly how this worked, uh, and I really couldn't hazard a guess as it as how it did work. No, it's it's really weird. I don't I don't know. It was I, I don't get it. I, I yeah. anyway. now yuri uh, the commander he tells them that they took too long stopping the thing before blipping (laughs) off the comm screen Um, Uh, a classic boss right you guys took too long you're stopping an incoming train with with a silencer a reflector and a light bulb come on (laughs) yes (laughs) now we rejoin the the team after the dust settles during a little bit of r&r and uh they recount this latest training session and uh you know the only thing that justifies this training session actually of having occurred here is brought to light here. Uh, it's brought to everyone's attention that Toxin and Scaredy Cat, that's you know Ruth and Pilar, they were left out of the proceedings altogether. Like mm. they were there physically, but there was never a you know a proper opening for them to pitch in and stop this train. And uh, I wonder if this might have been done on purpose. Think about this. You're you're at a workplace and you have that one person, maybe in a union or maybe who's vocal against something, and they stand up for all the yeah whistleblower. And guess what happens 99% of the time to whistleblowers, unfortunately. 
They get moved to the back of the bus. They yep. get every, you know, they get so much work that they can't keep up, and you try to write them out and get them gone as fast as possible. So mm-hmm. you put them I'm somewhere think- where they're not going to complain or they're not going to notice things. Yeah, you you move yeah. them out of sight. Right, and good old Ruthie. She's mm-hmm. got a mouth on her, so she's not going to sit back and just let people take over her, you know what I mean? So, you know, you got a situation there where literally last episode they were on trial, and Ruth used her poison powers to actually poison people yep. <laughs> into to make them literally prove them not guilty. So, I mean, you're talking about someone who's a bit of a renegade there, but it looks like it's come back to haunt them because they're not part of this little team anymore here. So, looks mm-hmm. like... I mean, curbing the second generation of recruits is a little strange, but to me, as a reader, it endears me to them. So, you know, I'm starting yeah. to pick up more and more every single issue that I like this second generation of teams, including the douche. Yep, you for know. sure. For Even sure. the douche, he's, he's grown on me, but Ruth is one of those people who speaks out against authority, so, you know, she's on a blacklist type of deal. I think that's what's happening here. And that's one of her friends. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be it here. Um, now, Louis, uh, as they're all rela- relaxing here, um, he looks over at Aileen, and he thinks to himself just how tragic it is that she's pregnant. And as the moratory will die within a year of going to, undergoing the process, she will die before giving birth. Listen to Debbie Downer. Holy cow. He is this... full of doom and gloom here. He is... <laughs> He is listening to some real dark music right now. Um, now, he hopes that the Padilla don't find out that Aileen is pregnant. Otherwise, he assumes that they'd probably turn the child into a test subject. Uh, he then, with his thoughts, leaves the room. He seems to care a little bit more about the kid than Aileen, because, man, he ain't he ain't sparing her no words, sir, on the guilt trip. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm getting, you, know, you, you know what? You think about the times here. You think about, sure. I mean, we're in, we're in 1988, mm-hmm. and... Well, I think we're around, you know, the explosion of the whole pro-life controversy and all that stuff. So we're, I'm getting a little bit of a vibe on that in this entire story. And I think this is where some of this comes out because it's really, you know, it was really pitching a tent in the late 80s. You know what I mean? Sure. So I'm thinking that this may be an attempt to be a little bit timely when it comes to, you know, what do you do with a baby, you know, on someone who's going to die and, you know, controversy surrounding different uh, different pro-life choices and different things like that. So, I mean, you know, I think they're touching hot buttons here, Chris. You might be onto something there. The more I think about it, because like the fact that you brought to uh, to attention there that he's really not too concerned with Aileen. Uh, no, that goes back to that argument where it's like, well, the, you know, the the parent, the the parent or the uh, potential parent should be responsible because the child didn't do anything. The child didn't choose, you know, to to be uh, to be born into the Moritori world here. You know, we don't. Got it. It's a, it is an interesting um, sort of parallel with real world stuff of the day, and uh, we won't go into it. But I mean, it's a, it's very uh, very interesting food for thought, and uh, it's, it's Papa don't preach material. <laughs> where is Danny Aiello when we need him? <laughs> She's in oh, trouble boy. deep, that girl. <laughs> she is, but she, she'll probably keep the baby, right? <laughs> um, now we do follow Louis with his thoughts topside because he has a phone call to make. And on the other end of the line is Dr. Tulima, who we haven't seen in a little while. The old now, crusty uh, <laughs> creator of the moratory yes. process, Dr. Tulima. Now, Louis inquires about this moratory cure, to which Adrian Tulima reiterates that he was working on a cure at one point before the Padilla redirected his efforts toward perfecting the process. You know, they it's, wanted it's, more Jaylene's. Yes, it's interesting that they avoid that entire topic here. They do, yeah. They Why do is that? that? Why do you think that is? That whole story plot point of making an entire army of adepts is out the window. So why is that? 
It's weird. I don't because, you know, as we get deeper into this issue here, this whole conversation gets called into into is kind of made suspect here. Um, yep. A lot of it feels well, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll get into it and we'll reflect when we get there. Um, now, uh, our, our Dr. Tulema, he reveals that he'd been working with a colleague on the cure. And this colleague, unfortunately, was killed in a horde raid. Louis asks a very pointed and very convenient question, which is, was your colleague's body ever found? Talima says no. Mm. Eh, no. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Now, Louis disconnects the call, wondering if perhaps Doc's partner wasn't killed, but was perhaps instead captured by the horde. Then he thinks a little bit more, and he thinks about the video he'd been given featuring Bruce Higashi of the Black Watch and, uh, you know, showing him alive and well and having been cured of the process. And our man Louie here, he's really unsure what's going on here, but he intends to find out. If you're on the outside looking in, it certainly looks like our team are being intentionally limited to a one-year lifespan on purpose. Yep. As to not let their, you know, let these superpowered human beings get out of control. You know, it, it. When you think about it, it's a pretty harrowing thought. But consider, think about the Justice League if they existed yes. in real life. Imagine the real world, real world problems you would have if a team like a superpowered team like the Justice League ever went rogue on society. I mean, oh, would you be? It. Yeah, you'd never be able to take them down. I mean, you could talk about your Avengers and all that stuff, but there ain't nobody stopping the Justice League. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. No. Mm, absolutely not. Now we hop back into the uh, the main part of the base here, and um, Yuri is talking to the team, but he's interrupted when the alarms begin to sound, and uh, the commander dispatches the team. I want to talk something about here. So if you're going through the first issues of Strike Force Moratory, you know that when those alarms sound, that these heroes literally jumped to their feet. I mean, they could oh, yeah. not wait to engage in battle. It was a badge of honor. It was something they were excited about. They wanted, you know, they literally went on missions when they weren't allowed to. But right now, it seems like the enthusiasm is completely gone from the core. You know, the the originals who were excited to go into battle... And you got some newbies here filling in roles, but I mean, the biggest difference between the two teams, between the originals and now, seems like the mojo was gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you had no generation. Yeah, yeah, you had the first team who was excited to get into war and all that stuff based on moratory propaganda. Then you had Generation Two, who were basically hero worshippers. You know, they loved the Strike Force and they wanted to do exactly what their heroes were doing. And then you got this weird third generation with Sheer and the gang. And they don't seem to outwardly display any of that joy or even purpose that the original gang had. And, I mean, it's really, I mean, you don't get that scene where they're jumping and leaping into the ship. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, shit, the alarms are going off. Here comes the horde mm-hmm. again. You know what I mean? So the the mood in the room, as Taz would say, has changed. Yeah, and I hope, I hope that was an artistic decision, not to have the big leaps here. Because yeah. that's one thing that we always pointed out in those early issues. It's like, they're always leaping. No matter what, they're jumping <laughs> to get to the battle. And no, that is not here. And, you know, it, it, you almost get like that weird sort of, uh, sort of like corporate boy band sort of feeling with this third gen where it's like, you got it exactly right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, well we need this sort of character. We need this. It, it's either the, uh, you know, the corporate boy band or a Jim Lee superhero team where it's like, it's like okay, it, we, it's, got, we got the one with the claws. We got the bad boy. <laughs> we got the, we got the one who could do the healing thing. It's, we got the psychic. It's just very, very, uh, tropey and cliche. 
it's like the first time that they ever introduced the moratory thing. It was like a volunteer type thing. And they were like, well, you know, are we going to get anybody it was like a to lottery. apply for this? Yeah. yeah. Is there anybody going to be going for this? And then all of a sudden you get these other people who are just wandering in off the street and wanting to be their heroes <laughs> and different things like that. And then it became, like you said, you got Yuri just basically creating a team of soulless boy band material yeah, people. For sure. And, and it's so much of it is – it's like they're going back to the old uh, Black Watch playbook where they're building this on propaganda. Like the la- the mission we w- we read last issue was a propaganda mission. It was a it was a sham, and uh, it seems to be that this is a whole bunch of uh, spin control and uh, and uh, perception that they're trying to uh, push in front of the the public here. Now they deploy on their supersonic jet, and before we know it, they're flying over Candy with a K, India. Mm which uh, I guess is actually part of Sri Lanka, or maybe it wasn't always. I, I didn't look too deep into it, but uh, I, there is I a failed. kingdom of candy in Sri, I, Sri Lanka. I didn't, I didn't do well in geography, so I can't tell you. I didn't do well in geometry either. Um, <laughs> as they're flying over candy, uh, they find that the entire city is burning, and it looks as though the horde is trying to raid a pharmaceutical plant. Our heroes land, they deboard, and go on the attack. And initially, right off the bat, it looks as though this group of Hordians are going to be easy pickings for the gang. And in fact, it's all the new people that are able to cause them to withdraw all by their lonesome. We have uh, Brava just beating the crap out of one of them. Sheer presses his hand into one's chest and shears its heart in half. Hold that thought. Uh, Hard case, he bashes like a big wooden rod and picks up the the, uh, splinters. And then, like, makes, like, Wolverine claws, and he starts slashing at them. And, Don't you uh, think that he would just harden the wood and just hit them with the full wood? Why not? Why just pick the splinters? I Yeah, I think that just looked cooler on the panel. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's got to be it. <laughs> now, so it looks like this is just going to be a, a walk in the park for the, uh, for the moratory here. Unfortunately, this was all a tactical ruse, because mm. the Horde only wanted to draw the moratory in, so... They could, they can unleash an attack with the all new, all different Super Hordians. Dun, dun, dun. This is like Turtles 2 right here. It is. It is. Now, these are those gross Hordians from the cover, and they've got these like weird fleshy claws, like almost looks like lobster claws, but they're flesh. And uh, like tentacles, <laughs> yeah. like, a, like, a, like a sack of tentacles bursting from their bellies. And uh, the tentacle, the tips of these tentacles are a little bit suspect looking. Um, <laughs> penile in nature, I would say. Some are very, very penile. They look like they could be a tang phone from that ad. Um, some look like mouths, kinda. Others look like like weird, like nasty clusters of cow udders. Really, really unpleasant to look at, and probably just as unpleasant to draw. And what color are they? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just pointing it out, Chris. I'm not- I'm just pointing it out. It, it seems like the horde designs seem to change from issue to issue. You know, we get like extreme vari- variations. I mean, you take a look at the horde we were introduced to in issue one, right up to now. It always seems like there's almost a mutation process going on, or seems something. Like, like, are the horde experimenting on themselves? Like, are they trying to, you know, become moratory themselves? Have they ever thought of that? Like, why not take the process and add it to themselves? Because I mean, ideally, all the horde do anyway is steal. So you think that they would steal the process and stick some of their, you know, lazy ass horde troopers right in there or even some cats. 
<laughs> send them out to battle. That that is an awesome idea, though. Um, like the moratory fighting fire. I mean, the the horde fighting fire with fire. You know, it's like yep. If if the if the moratory can barely beat back the regular hordians, imagine super powered ones here. Yeah. And uh, well, that's exactly what we see here. The super hordians go on the attack, and uh, it's pretty elementary. They tangle up the heroes in their gross tentacles. Now, Louis, our main man here, our, you know, one to grow on character, he is just standing there like a doofus. And uh, Ruthie has to yell at him. It's like, hey, you have powers. Your friends are getting hurt. Maybe do something. <laughs> I love this. I mean, Louis is standing there like a complete dolt and Ruth is mm-hmm. giving it to him. I mean, she's looking around. She's surveying the damage and she's got no intention of dying. OK, she is no. the leader and her whole mission is to make sure that she's surviving, of course. But she can't do this unless these other idiots play their part. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, Louis, Louis no longer useful in battle. I mean, he's conflicted. No. He's got the weight of the world on the shoulders. He knows that his superpowers, they're not super useful in the heat of battle. I mean, he's a, he's a giant lampshade for God's yeah. sake. There's only so <laughs> many times you can flash the enemy until they're like, okay, let's just wear sunglasses and he's useless. Yep. <laughs> but I love Ruth. I love Ruth asserting her de facto leadership again. It shows, yeah. you know, it shows the real dilemma of this whole team. I mean, who is in charge? I'll tell you, no one. <laughs> and nobody wants to be in charge. No, so Ruth has to just take it on, okay? She yes, yeah, she has to shoulder the burden. Since Harold passed, I mean, nine issues ago, uh, there hasn't been a true leader. Nobody has wanted to pick up the mantle. Robert did for a bit, but he was insane. Yeah. Um, Ruthie is the closest thing that they have to a, you know, a straw that stirs the drink, you know, to, so to speak. And uh, you know, after she yells at our man Louis, he. He decides to use his UV powers, but he does it in a very, very strange way, which I didn't even realize he could do. He actually uses his powers not to shine light, but to send a verbal message to the Horde. I don't know if this is like blowing in a dog whistle or something, but whatever the case, (laughs) Louis was able to transmit a message that said, ignore the others. I'm the one you want toward the Horde. And wouldn't you know it, it works. When they hear this, the Horde is commanded to stand down by the Gentle Inquirer. Now, that's the same guy who presented Louis with the possibility of a cure in that little video chip a few issues back. Yes. And so, everybody stands down. The Moratory are left laying, you know, they're not they're not killed, they're just left there. And Louis is taken captive and carried by the tentacles uh, onto the Portian spacecraft. It takes off, leaving the moratory behind to both lick their wounds and wonder aloud just what in the hell their weird traitor teammate might be up to. Boy, and we switch quickly. They, we see Radian at Horde HQ, and he's in South America. Now, he's walked before the Gentle Inquirer and da, 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 Bruce Hagashi of the mm-hmm. original Black Watch. Remember the Black Watch, Chris? The Black Watch. I, have we ever talked about them before? <laughs> <laughs> They're the original moratory. If you're listening for the first time, there's a group, there's three men, and Bruce Hagashi was one of them, and they were the idols of the current, or the, the moratory people to come. And uh, they died in their first battle, or so we thought, mm-hmm. but Bruce Hagashi remains alive. Now, Hagashi is strapped to a bed, and he urges Radiant to leave, claiming that in this case, the cure is much worse than the disease. Mm-hmm. So the inquiry suggests Louis 
Pay Bruce no mind, you see. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about, see? <laughs> but anyway, Bruce is there obviously against his will. I mean, unless unless he's just laying there for pleasure waiting for a massage. I don't know. But Louis is definitely there voluntarily as such. And he won't suffer. And he actually doesn't. So this is a very odd conversation. It is. Uh, now, he assures them that there's definitely going to be a price to pay for the cure. Now, what that price would be, I guess we are yet to find out. But mm-hmm. anyway, oh, and he also confirms, by the way, that they did indeed abduct a Dr. Tolima cure-seeking associate, Mr. Dr. Ledbetter. There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dr. Ledbetter, the, the so-called associate of Dr. Tolima. Now, uh, back at Moratori HQ, Deguchi, Pilar, and Sheer are in a full-blown argument over Louis' actions. Now, Sheer is uh, he's getting a little bit mouthy. He's very, very <laughs> ticked off at Louis' seeming coward, cowardice and betrayal. Deguchi, you know, Deguchi, I don't know what's going on with him here, but he offers to separate Sheer's head from his shoulders if he doesn't watch his tone. <laughs> I had a teacher named Doug Linthorne. I'll call him out here now. He's a good, <laughs> he's a good dude, but he always used to threaten his kids, and I'll, I'll even do his voice because I love it. He said, now, boys, if you're not going to listen in my class, I'll sever your head from your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, just look at the douche here asserting the, this newfound guts he's found somewhere. I'm loving this. It's great. It's great. Uh, now, just then, as the argument is still going on, a TV monitor fires up and on it is our man radian and he is on the air to deliver one hell of an address and it says i have learned something terrible about the leaders i served that i sacrificed my life my life for there is a cure for the moratory process we don't have to die he goes on to explain that the Badia had withheld the cure because they didn't want to have a bunch of superhumans running around the earth after the war ended. Uh. Yeah, Louis then renounces the Badia and says he'll never work for them again. Now, upon hearing this back at HQ, Aileen goes into an almost twisted fit of laughter, like she has completely cracked up here. Love, 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 love yes. this scene. I mean, yes, you got you got to feel ki- terrible for what these kids have gone through. I mean, over the over the course of these fifteen issues, for basically no reason. You know what I mean? These kids have been mm-hmm. put in jeopardy, according to Louie. Now, Anderson's version of Aileen here is just an absolute, and I say this every single episode, but man, he's just a master at drawing this woman. Oh, I mean, yeah. her la- her laughter not only can showcase laughter, but it's just brilliance with like sheer emotion and just cracked depression going through it. It's amazing. It's amazing wow. what emotion that Brent Anderson captured with a pencil. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. And it just everything about this scene is just uh, it's master master class level. It's just it's wonderful stuff here. Um, and, and like as much as the emotions are conflicted on the team, it's like as a reader, even you're just like, wow, that is. Yeah, absolutely. There's something going on. It's uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, of of pent up feeling here. Now, we uh, jump over to another area of Moratory HQ, where Commander Yuri is getting all up in Dr. Talima's area, like he's uh, DJ Ran. Um, <laughs> now, now Talima tells Yuri that he told Louie, all that, that all he told Louie was that a cure was possible. And 
he really doesn't even have any apologies for his actions here. And uh, he even goes as far as to dare Yuri to lock him up. He's like, yeah, go ahead, lock me up, take me off the case, and then you'll see what kind of kind of warriors you'll get. And then you, then you'll have to come and you know get me at a lock up to save your ass. <laughs> and uh, this heated conversation is interrupted by. Louie returning to base. They look out the window, uh, a craft lands, and Louie exits that craft. Now, Louie is immediately run up on by Toxin, who is incredibly disappointed in him. She's uh, <laughs> she's like, you know, I don't even know how you're showing your face here anymore. He insists that he only did what he had to in order to protect Alien's unborn baby. Now, Aileen, she does not react well. She does not want to be on the hook for any of this. She's like, no, no, don't don't put this on me, kid. Uh, now, then Sheer approaches, and uh, oh, this, is where, this is where business is about to pick up. You know, he calls Radiant out for being a traitor, and uh, they wrestle for a bit, you know, and then Sheer's using his powers to do some gardening, actually. He, he does shear some trees, some limbs off trees, so he does get his gardening gig in here. Um, now Louis insists that, you know, he's not a traitor, you know, this is not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm on your side, you know, then Sheer lays his palm on Louis's chest and shears his heart in two. Jesus. Yeah. This is, uh, this was a shocker. Oh, so totally. as, as, as we spoke off air, I mean, I do not recall this one bit and it took me, me by surprise when this actually happened. I, I was I was like, man, he's how's he going to survive a sheared heart? I, I could not believe it. And it had more impact. If I was booking this on the fly, brother, <laughs> Shear was an odd one to actually do this to Louis. So, you know, if if I was writing this, I probably would have had a more powerful scene, maybe with Aileen, you know, melting the molecules and burning his heart out of him or something like that. But, you know, it just shows that these newbies, they're not above killing their heroes. So no. it's the old saying, never meet your heroes. You're going to be disappointed. You know what I mean? And wow, what the case was here. This was a pure shocker here, man. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sheer, he's a uh, he's a loose cannon here. And and Louis, you know, he, he like like we mentioned earlier, he's no good on the battlefield now. And he's really no good in a fight either. Nope. Um, it's almost like he was like submissively allowing, uh, Sheer to do what he was going to do just so long as he could, you know, maybe get a few words in instead of a few punches. Now, uh, with his heart severed in two, Louis falls to the ground and in his final moments, now this is weird. He tells Aileen that there actually is no cure, What? there's no cure. Also, Dr. Tulima never had an associate named Ledbetter. So uh, this, the conversation from earlier, a lot of the stuff going on here, it was all a ruse. Louis was just calling the Horde's bluff. You know, they he asked about the, uh, he asked about Doctor Ledbetter. The uh, gentle inquirer said, "Yo, yeah, we we took him. Yeah, we took him." But there never was one, so Louis knew that the Horde was full of crap. And uh, now he he does tell uh, Aileen that you know. He did this because if there was a cure, he he knows it would have been a mortal sin to ignore the possibility of a cure here. He had to learn the truth for his own sake and for his fellow Marturi. Now, Louis goes from crying to an almost like calm and serene look on his face. And he mentions that he's happy that he died in battle and didn't succumb to the process because this way was less of a suicide you know, it was less taken Yikes. out of his uh, out of his control or, or, you know, just as a result of his immediate actions or whatever. And uh, with that, 
he dies. Louis yeah. is dead. Yeah, this is uh, this is some heavy stuff here. This this yeah. really really took me by surprise. It's just something yeah. that not only did I not see coming, I should have seen it coming because you know you should always expect somebody to pop off in these books because that's mm-hmm. the entire the Premise. entire trick behind yeah. Strike Force Moratory is that you never know who's next. But boy, I didn't see this. No, no, it's wild. Uh, you know, Aileen, she's still there with Louie, and she closes his eyes and gets up and walks away. And which was which was nice, you know what I mean? It's her yeah. teammate, respectful. You know, and, she she's she's saying her goodbyes to to her friend, right? But now, speaking then, of respect, um, now uh, Sheer he walks up to Louie, and just when it looks like he might have a begrudging respect for his falling teammate, he hocks a loogie in Louie's dead face. Oh, man, this was uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, man. I, I don't know. The Louie character, you know, uh, is the fear in all of us. I mean, you think about, mm-hmm. you know, what stuff that we get fed as as the public. I mean, from our government, from religion, from our studies, Jesus at work. I mean, you never know what is truly the truth out there. You know what yeah. I mean? So when you get a character like Louie who's trying to expose some of the lies that he's being fed, I mean, you kind of got to get behind that because everybody wants to know the truth. And sometimes it's a real hard thing to swallow sometimes. Mm-hmm. But this was a powerful death, man. And you know what? The originals are are, are down to just one right now. And, yeah. of course, the mystery child. It's true. I mean, wow. This, uh... Wow. Yeah, I never would have expected this. Um, it's been a very long time since I've read this deep into the series. And uh, and truth be told, uh, before I uh, read this, uh, I usually will collect all the ads and the bullpen bulletins that we talk about um, during the you know the back end of the show. And I was just flipping through and I was taking pictures and then you know getting ready to upload some images. And I saw you know Louis laying there with uh, with you know like liquid. Uh, like under his eye and i'm like oh Louis. i figured oh it ended with louis like learning a lesson and crying about it or yep. something and then you know going back and reading it and seeing that uh sheer just you know spits in the dead man's face Ugh. oh man that is that's a statement and uh and i do i do love i love your uh your your call of louis being the fear in all of us because it, it's true i mean he is uh like he's questioning everything, but at the same time he wonders if he should be questioning everything, and he's kind of scared to ask the questions, but knows he has to ask the questions. It's a very tragic and very multifaceted character, um, and, and to think that you know he was probably created with his death date in mind is a is a pretty cool thing that they they were able to cram you know this much gram into a character. Um, uh, before uh, you know, sending him off uh, to the afterlife here, just a hell of an issue. Um, yeah, and, and again, we we say this like every every single week, but it's like I didn't think it was going to still be this good this long. <laughs> well, we're ha- we're literally almost halfway through the book, and yeah. this thing has not let down, with the exception of the one the issue that's yeah. which shall remain nameless <laughs> until I named it. <laughs> Speaking of which, ne- next week, next next time out, we have uh, the Wills Portacio issue, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, yeah, just a, an amazing amazing issue here, uh, and I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Sheer. I mean, Sheer killed. A moratory. Sheer killed one of their own. That's that's that that'll probably be revisited, right? I mean, there, there, there's going to be some comeuppance for that. There's there, got to there, be. 
there would hopefully yes especially with uh, you have one remaining original team member you think there would be definitely some animosity right there sir mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh and and part of me is wondering like did did louis learn anything on, on uh, while he was there and uh why did he why did he even do that news report you know so think about this. Something really, really is rotten in Denmark here. So he goes, sure. he takes the trip, he takes the trip. He goes to, you know, the, the Horde headquarters or whatever. He meets with the Inquirer. Um, you know, he's got Bruce Higashi, the, uh, the guy there on the bed and all that type of stuff. And they let him go, number one. So he mm-hmm. comes away unscathed to talk to his friends. So there's something, there's, there's something disjointed here. I, I don't know. Something, something stinks. There is, there's definitely something afoot here, but uh, we will get deeper into that as we continue through the series here. Uh, we'll enter the, the back portion of the program here with a look at our, oh wait, no, there is no letters page, of course. Uh, nobody <laughs> writes letters to books that they don't read, so. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and nobody reads Strike Toys Moratory, so there are I wonder, no uh, letters. W- would they take our letters if we wrote now? We should try. <laughs> well, I think we should do that. We should uh, start a movement. <laughs> and uh, then maybe they'll finally get the green light on that TV show that everybody's been begging for from this. Um, yes, please. Now, the uh, into our bullpen bulletins, our next year, our, our second favorite part of this year, uh, we do start, as always, with a quote of the month. And uh, h- how good is your, uh, your Norse accent? Oh, I don't know. Let's try it out. Give it a go. <laughs> Behold the savage tempest which I have summons to blast ye back to the Stygian slime from whence ye came. Mm. Quoteth from Thor, from the book Thor, number 388. <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, and if that's the best quote of the month, I guess they didn't read Strikeforce Moratory, did they? <laughs> Definitely um, not. No, because that's crap. Um, we have news. We have news okay. items. Uh, the new, All the news you can use for... <laughs> You know, February 1988. Um, the Marvel Fan Club is a go. And uh, this ain't your daddy's Merry Marvel Marching Society. This is the DeFalco Age Marvel Fan Club. But they, they put a lot of thought into this thing, so much so that they didn't name it. They asked the fans to, to suggest names. <laughs> Boo, this sucks. You know what? <laughs> Fan clubs were huge back in the 80s. I remember sure. it used to, you know, there was all kinds of things you used to be able to, to, you know, right away. on If it's your favorite TV show, your favorite book, your favorite whatever, there was definitely a fan club. And you can send away, you know, uh, a coupon or whatever and get some stuff mailed to you. And it might be some, you know, 8 by 10 photos of your favorite celebrity with a signature. You know, it might be some stationery. The only one that I ever really signed up for was the Archie fan club. Really? <laughs> Okay. Yes. So the entire thing was Archie used to have a little insert, um, one insert page in all their issues. And basically, if you could write, you could write a little story and possibly be published in Archie Comics. And of course, to me and my friends, that was amazing. Oh, my God, mm. we can get our little paragraph published in Archie. This would be amazing. One of my friends actually got published. No kidding. Believe it or not, his name was Kyman Tom. He was my friend growing up, and he's the guy who uh, who had all the comics that his mother invested a ton of comics into this guy. So he oh, stole okay. everything from me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not bitter, Kyman. I not love all, you. Not. But but anyway, he got published, which was wicked. We were all very happy for him. But they published his name wrong. They published it as Tom Kyman. Oh oh. <laughs> oh, that sucks. But they did. But they, and not only that, they edited his uh, his paragraph as well. So they really? they condensed it on their own. Why didn't they just write it and steal his name? I don't know. But anyway, 
for my part, I never did get published. I don't know because of my my crappy grammar. Uh, but anyway, one thing that I did get was some amazing Archie swag. So I got a Archie notepad so I could write my stories. I got a pen, a pin, and a membership card, sir. And if anyone goes on my Twitter, which is at Charlton underscore hero, it's my pin tweet that I have there all the time. And it always says, we're called good bloggers start. And it's all <laughs> right there. You can, you can actually see the little kit that I got. So there you go. Very cool. I think I was part of a Nintendo fan club, and I got a. Oh, I, I got like wanted a pin. to. Yeah, I I wasn't really. I, I have always had attention problems, so like the thought of sending something in the mail and waiting months for something oh, to come hated, back, maybe. Hated. Yeah, I could never actually get on get on board with it. But uh, I was actually digging through in a comic shop here, um, probably within the past year or so. Uh, this is a comic shop that is. They don't do new books. All they do is a is a like they have the, they've got like a room full of bargain books. They've got uh, old trades, a bunch of out of print stuff that they don't charge ridiculous amounts for. It's just like a uh, it's like it's like a like a comic graveyard kind of where gotcha. you just uh, and, and like you walk in and it just it just stinks of the old newsprint, but like not not really in the good way. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so, but it's like. It's a, it's a great little shop, and uh, I was digging through one of the rooms there because there's tons of rooms here in this shop, and uh, one of them had just like like garbage, like it was like a stack of like entertainment weeklies and Time magazines that like he was gonna throw out, and in it I found the uh, the 1989 1990 Fandom Directory, which what? is yes, it's a uh, it's a bound book. Uh, full of fan clubs, fan groups, just regular people with their addresses to to make pen pals. This is the oh way God. that people, the fans, communicated before the internet. And uh, I'm looking at it now, and it is it is one thick book here. Let me see. There are 489 pages in the oh no 496 pages in this book here, and it is a just a cavalcade of different fandoms, comics, Star Trek, sci-fi, uh, you know, medieval stuff, uh, television shows, uh, uh, The Prisoner. I mean, just amazing stuff here, uh, all broken down by like state, by city, so you can actually meet up with people. Uh, that shared your fandom, and and in here oh there's God. also this, this, this was like elongated twin uh, Tinder. <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> instead of swiping right, you got to write a novel. <laughs> yes. Is, uh, do you like Pina Coladas and Dennis the Menace comic strips? We'll find uh, out in eight weeks when you return my mail. <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I just thought this was an awesome little uh, little uh, a piece of ephemera from from just fandom history. And, oh man, you got to put that up on Twitter, man. I oh, I will. That thing. Will yeah, and and it's just so weird that it's like right like right now. I mean, you and me met on Twitter. You know, it's absolutely. Like, with very little effort, it was just like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know. <laughs> we even we even did a GI Joe project. I had no idea we worked together. We on. did it together. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and and just thinking about back then, it's like you had to buy a stamp or you had to put gas in your car to drive somewhere. And uh, and also in here are all a lot of the uh, you know the uh, you know on board you know sort of legit. Uh, uh, fan clubs i'm sure like the, the archie one is probably in here uh there's probably all sorts of uh legit on the level sort of things and uh like the, the you know the fox the fox five kids club <laughs> afternoon oh cartoon it's unbelievable oh yeah insane stuff here um, can't wait to see it can't wait 
Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, we want to know what kind of fan clubs everybody else was into as well here. We want to, we want to dig back. We want to pretend that this is 1988, 1989 <laughs> every time we're doing this. Uh, so we can forget about the worries of, uh, of our, in, our in, full modern society. In that particular one is the Scott Bayo fan club in there. You know, it probably is. Oh, I bet you it is. Publish it. We got to get I on the go. Oh yeah, we gotta we we gotta actually get that get the fires of the Scott Bayo fan club restoked. I want uh, Charles in charge of me, Chris. Yes, yes. <laughs> there is a new boy in the neighborhood, and he lives downstairs. <laughs> it's understood. But I, I did try. I wanted to get like a little John Stamos fan club going. I thought that'd be fun, but uh, but uh, because awesome. Because our love can save him, apparently. Uh, that's something <laughs> I could share as well. Um, but yeah, I think we should uh, we should definitely play with some fan club stuff here uh, in the future. Uh, but back to our bullpen bulletins here. Uh, Doug Murray of the NAM, he wins the Veterans Achievement Award for Entertainment from Bravo. That's not the television channel. It's actually the Brotherhood Rally of American Veterans Organization. And uh, he beat out the movie Platoon. Which is amazing. So yeah. the NAM only began in 1986. So, I mean, Just really, yeah. yes, it only had a year and a little bit under its belt at this point, and it beats out Platoon. That's wild. Mm. Man, yeah. someone someone was in bed with somebody. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, this is stuff that Marvel's printing, so we don't know how truthful it is. <laughs> they might have, they might have, if we look up the Brotherhood Rally of American Veterans Organizations, it might be like CEO Tom DeFalco, for all we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't know. Uh, now, another uh, another little news bit here. Mobius, he wrote, a, he had a graphic novel called uh, Upon a Star that had been selected for eligibility for an award of excellence from the Mead Paper Company. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm back. I'm back. Go ahead. You, you're not a, an airtight garage fan? You're not a Mobius <laughs> fan? Mobius is uh, is that type of art that you look at when you uh, when you're under the influence of some substance that you don't want to report to the to the authorities to HR. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another bit of news here is that Bob Budiansky's profile is included on this very page. Oh, here we go. Thanks, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, right yay. here. We don't need news. Um, I do <laughs> want to note here that it is that it is nice that we're finally getting a bullpen bulletins page that isn't just like blindly kissing Tom DeFalco's ass for several paragraphs <laughs> over and over again. I love it. It's nice that we're getting back to normal here and we're actually just reporting news instead of, isn't our, isn't our new boss great? He's great, right? <laughs> isn't he great? He really he is. Cigars. He's great. His have cigars you heard are great. That have you, his Kicker's Inc. is fantastic. <laughs> the best thing under the sun but um into our profile it is as as reported in the bullpen bullens it is bob budiansky uh his job is he is the editor on air raiders visionaries willow yeah elvira oh go ahead yep so Air Raiders, and yes. it's interesting because I'm looking at these properties. So you have Willow, which is a, uh, a Steven Spielberg movie, yes. you know, or, or was it Lucas? No, I think it was Lucas, think George Lucas. Maybe yeah, it was my gosh. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely George Lucas. Uh, you had Visionaries, which was, you know, a cartoon that gets a ton of respect from the 80s that is really, unfortunately, not that very good. But the action figures, I don't know if you've ever seen a G.I. Joe action figure or not a Visionaries action figure. Have you ever seen those? Um, you know, I'm trying to, did they have, and, and this is 
me being completely ignorant here, did they have like holograms on their chest? Yeah, they did. They okay, were exa- okay. they were exactly made specifically exactly like a GI Joe, except they they had holograms on them. They came okay. with holographic accessories and and vehicles. So I mean, they were like an ethereal GI Joe line, basically. So not not so bad. The they they could have passed. Were the holograms like heat activated? Like you could touch them and a picture would show up? Or am I thinking of a different one? <laughs> I thought they were lenticular, like you they turn them to the side okay. and they, yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. Like, I have a few visionaries, but they were just, you know, you turn them to the side and they flash. So it was, oh, a, gotcha. it was a bit weird. But two that were complete garbage were Willow. So if you have ever seen the movie Willow, or even if you haven't, you should see the toy line. There was a toy oh, line? Oh, my God. So no do you way. remember? Oh, yes, sir. There was. as we go. Oh, yeah. So here's how bad Ooh. these things. So you expect them to be G.I. Joe-like because that's the popular franchise at the time. Instead, They're not articulated. No, sir. So if you picture uh, D&D uh, miniatures that you buy in like hobby stores, that's exactly how they made the Willow there figures. Is. It was mind-boggling. It's like somebody got the license. We're like, we got to make some figures here. And this is what they put out. They weren't articulated. They had little bases to make them stand. Yeah. You could do absolutely nothing with these. They were now, just there for display. Yes. Now, Air Raiders, which actually had its own Marvel Star comic, is another thing. So, you know, they had a lot of lot of uh, toy lines that were just basically vehicles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we had the big mask trend where you had, you know, the transforming vehicles. And, you know, you'd go from a transport truck to a base headquarters. And you had, like, miniature figures. Now, they mm-hmm. weren't three and three-quarter inch, like the popular size. They were smaller. Well, Air okay. Raiders actually took it a notch down from that. So they had, you know, flying toys. So they were basically... It's a place called Airlandia they lived in. They had all these flying spaceships. So it was based around aviation. You know what I mean? Okay. But the figures they had were so minute that they fit in, you know, they, they fit inside the vehicles, but they served no other purpose. They had very limited articulation. The colors were extremely basic, but they have a lot of love, man. If you take a look around the Internet, there's Air Raider stuff everywhere and it doesn't make sense but i mean they have an air raiders twitter they've got everything still going on so these toy lines baffle me but willow was an all-time low i have someone should be shot for that (laughs) and what did uh visionaries get a uh, marvel comic as well yeah obviously because it's in the damn it's in the damn bullpen bulletin yeah yes sir so (laughs) vision visionaries had its own comic willow had its own limited series of the uh of the movie adaptation yeah but speaking of movie adaptations Oh, which what one do you got to present us with? Well, we also have an Elvira uh, one, but then okay. also the uh, the Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night movie adaptation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. That one. We all know Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. Yeah, or the, Disney, maybe, right? Em- it's Pinocchio and Geppetto. Yeah, that one. Yeah, right? yeah. It's you got to be. The sequel on the actual page here, and it says Emperor of the Night, but I think it might actually be Empire of the Night. Uh, but uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'd never heard of this before, and uh, so we did a little bit of research on this. Uh, Pinocchio and the Emperor, Emperor of the Night came out in 1987. It actually hit on Christmas Day in 1987. It was a flop. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> it cost $10 to make, and from then till now, only earned $3.2 million back. I have never heard of it. And the me fact either. that it actually made $3.2 million blows me away. It's true. It's true. And uh, now the synopsis, because I, I, I read a couple of synopsises here. I didn't just do the Wikipedia. Uh, now, <laughs> it makes this sound like, like a real piece of garbage here. Uh, it, 
it's like it's you know how like like there'll be like a Disney movie and then they'll do like the direct to video uh, sort oh, of sequel yeah. where it's like it's like well it's still Disney so it's not you know it's it's still good this is kind of like the like the Walmart brand uh, Disney <laughs> film the, here the five dollar bin classic yeah the the great value um, <laughs> now now our man Pinocchio he has a sidekick not Jiminy Cricket because Disney owns Jiminy Cricket. This is uh, a sidekick that was a wooden glowworm that was turned into a real glowworm that uh, Pinocchio accidentally named G. Willikers. Oh. So uh, yeah, so we don't get uh, we don't get the the conscience cricket. We get G. Willikers the worm. Um, and uh, it looks like in this one, Pinocchio is like reverted back and forth from puppet to re- real boy form a few times over the course of the movie. So <laughs> trash alert. Yeah, no doubt. Um, now, another thing that Mr. Budiansky is is uh, responsible for are Marvel press posters and toy company storyline development. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Air Raiders, for example. All <laughs> those issues of Air Raiders. How did that go for you, Bob <laughs> Budiansky? <laughs> now, his past freelance credits include penciling and plotting Ghost Rider, also the Submariner limited series, and, okay. quote, various other stuff. Yes, various AKA air raiders. <laughs> I I don't understand. It's like you're being interviewed for a reason, buddy. Various other stuff. <laughs> I do not want to bring them up, he says. Yes. <laughs> no comment. Um, now his current freelance credits include being the writer and occasional cover penciler for Transformers. Okay, so, so uh, guess what? That was fairly popular at the time. Yeah, that, if you're looking his, at yeah, that was his toy company storyline development gig there, I guess. Mm. Now, his hobbies include stargazing, skiing, uh-huh. 60s pop music, and snorkeling. <laughs> you notice, like, what the difference is between this guy's hobbies and our hobbies, Chris? Hmm. <laughs> his are extremely cheap. Well, uh, well I guess <laughs> skiing can be uh, reasonably uh, reasonably expensive at times, sure. but it's a, it's a one-shot deal. You buy your skis and you're good. But man, think about the hobbies that we do. I mean, I, you know, I collect some stuff. We were into sure. comics. I mean, we're, you know, we have expensive habits. But this guy, stargazing <laughs> and snorkeling and 60s pop music. I mean, think about it. How how much money are you actually going to spend on a Beatles, Rolling Stones or Beach Boys album? You can get the you can get for all sure. of those. Yeah. yeah, you can get all of those for five bucks. <laughs> you know for what sure. I mean? But anyway, sure. I'll, I'll agree with them on the uh, the entire 60s rock thing. That's that's pretty fun. You know, I, I can't ever since I heard that uh, I think it was Little Saint Nick from the Beach Boys. There's a there's that line in it that says Christmas comes this time each year. And it's like, well, no, no crap. Of course it does. It, it's Christmas. <laughs> I, I, ever since I heard that line, it's like I can't listen to any Beach Boys song. Um, unless, of course, John Stamos is playing the drums on, on Kokomo. Kokomo. Oh, loved it. I love Kokomo. I don't care. And even seeing uh, Uncle Jesse <laughs> Uncle there Jesse. playing the drums, I was like, yeah, loved it. <laughs> Now, uh, the work uh, that Mr. Budiansky is most proud of is penciling the cover of Ghost Rider number 35. That's April 1979, cover date. Uh, awesome. Oh, it, it's a really cool looking cover. It's uh, called Death Race, and uh, it, it's a really good looking cover. Um, surprising. I, I wasn't yeah. expecting when, when we when we looked this one up. Now, uh, oh boy, we get into the comedy here. Uh, his pet peeves include filling out questionnaires. 
Yeah. <laughs> Get it? Because he's doing that right now. Oh, oh my Lord. God. What oh. a guy. Hi, oh, James. Hi, James. I need, I need, yeah, I need Sheer to massage my heart after that one. Um, <laughs> he was born in the Bronx. <laughs> so listen to listen to this about the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So I I grew up in a very sheltered island, okay? <laughs> so mm-hmm. my only experience with the Bronx was stuff that I saw on like 80s VHS movies, like you know, these <laughs> weird obscure ones like you know, that when you see the Bronx, it's like they're they're overtaken by cyberpunks and there's yep. fires and flames and shit's going down in the Bronx. So anyway, when I went to New York on one trip during, you know, I think it was 87. Uh, myself, my father, and my grandfather went there. We had to pass through the Bronx. And man, I was petrified in the back of that car. The first thing, I remember burying my head and just hoping to get past there. I, was, I felt like I was going to be shot, and of course I was in no danger. But, you know, I felt that way because of the way these 70s, 80s you know, VHS movies made me feel. And when I did pop my head up and I saw a fire in a barrel, I said, oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> You know, I, I think up. it was all fires and barrels, break dancers, and uh, and terrifying robots. That that was I, the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> I survived the Bronx. I'll just let you know. <laughs> now we, we one of one of our good friends, uh, Joe Cabrera, is a Bronx boy. He'll have to fill us in on uh, yeah, on, the real on, Bronx, on the real Bronx, or or just or just you know uh, justify everything you're saying about the uh, cyberpunk uh, terror. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that's what's happening at the Bronx right now. Cyberpunk terror. For Tell us we, all of it. <laughs> for all we know, Joe Cabrera might be a, a Bronxian cyborg. For all we know. Right now he's listening to this show over a barrel with fire. <laughs> with his cyberpunk <laughs> girl with the laser eye. While <laughs> breakdancing. <laughs> oh, we're going to get canned. I've only been to the Bronx uh, anytime I went to a Yankees game, which was only like two or three times. So I, look, I don't really have look, any stories. Look at look at us upsetting the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm from the uh, the the other B B, B borough. So there you go. <laughs> um, now, Mr. Budiansky, his greatest non-comics accomplishment is catching a line drive in a baseball game while playing for the Marvel team. So that's kind of comics adjacent. Hmm. Yeah, his oddest habit is giving undue importance to trivial facts. It's, uh, we we can't relate to that. I was going to say something that we might share with Mr. Budiansky <laughs> here. Um, we have a uh, we have an obsession with the minutia ourselves. Um, now, who would play Bob Budiansky in a movie? Tom Hanks, and uh, in fairness, there is a resemblance, at least from his caricature. He actually looks a bit like David Letterman more than Tom Hanks, but looked, I digress. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he actually really does. He, but I can, I can see Hanks pulling that up. Yep. For sure. For sure. Do you, do, a, you think that, do you think that Tom Hanks, like when he gets past his COVID outbreak, mm-hmm. uh, that he would actually play Bob Hanks <laughs> in the movie? You think that's <laughs> at the top of his list? It, he's gonna, it's going to be uh, it's going to be breakdancing in the Bronx, the Bob Budiansky story <laughs> yeah. starring Tom Hanks. As a cyberpunk teen. <laughs> yes. Who, who makes a wish on a machine to, to grow into Bob Budiansky. Um, oh, my God. Zoltar. So I was in Florida. <laughs> listen to this. Last mm-hmm. year. And guess what I found at a orchard? What's that? A Zoltar machine. Yes, sir. Really? Indeed, I did. I have photos and everything, sir. And I did will you make provide- a wish? I did it all. I, I, you know, I wished I was small and, you know, instead of being big and <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I found it, man. I found Zoltar. 
there's, there is no truth in advertising anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> you can't, can't trust uh, the robot machine. Um, now, uh, why did Bob Budiansky uh, decide on comics? Well, we're, we're glad you asked. He thought it would be more fun than civil engineering. Uh, I, okay. Jokes on him. I don't Jokes on us. Who knows? Uh, people in high school thought that Bob Budiansky was somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, his favorite performers here, uh, and I'm not sure if this is a, a political statement by Mr. Budiansky, but uh, we'll, let, we'll let the listener decide. Uh, his favorite performers include the Talking Heads. Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, and Ronald Reagan. Hey, Ronald Reagan is not a performer. <laughs> He's the, the president. He's confused. He is. He is confused. Now, the last good book that he didn't read is The Panda's Thumb: colon, More Reflections in Natural History from 1980 by Stephen J. Gould. <coughs> bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. Now, if uh, you want to know what the panda's thumb is, it's a collection of 31 essays by Gould, who is or was, I don't know if he's still around or not, a Harvard University paleontologist. Now, uh, the recurring themes of these essays include evolution, teaching, science biography, probabilities, and common sense. Oh, the last good book that he read was Ramona by Beverly Cleary. She's 104 (laughs) today, by the way. 104. Happy birthday. We love you. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, nice try, Bob. Yeah, nice try. I, I wonder if they, they just look for like the most pretentious book oh, they could yeah. find. 100%. Like, yeah, too bad Infinite Jest wasn't out yet. Um, <laughs> now, uh, the, the last good movie that uh, he probably did see was Robocop. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I love that. I love Robocop. I got nothing bad to say about it. The comics, the books, the action figures, I love every bit of it. So, yeah, good on on you, man. I'll give you that one. His biggest influences include Gardner Fox, Stan Lee, John Buscema, Jack Kirby, and Steven Spielberg. Look at this guy. He's collecting paychecks. He knows where his his bread is buttered, sir. He gets to keep his job. Uh, He he saw what happened to Larry Hammer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, His greatest unfulfilled ambition is to write, pencil, ink, and color a book starring a character he created, which uh, tells me he's not a current-day creator. Oh, my God. And if you look down a little bit further, the worst part of his job is stapling all the comics together before they ship to stores. Oh, that's a real knee slapper. (laughs) Mr. Downey, you're a real knee slapper there, Baba. Wait, wait, wait. So Bob Budiansky staples all the comics together? Oh, my God. What a oh. turd. <laughs> <laughs> and when nobody's looking, Bob also naps. And what people should also know is that he's actually much better looking than his character. Yes, sir. Really, he is. Really? But are you? Are you? Are you really? <laughs> we haven't seen any real pictures of you, but uh, oh. we'll take your word for it here. Um, To wrap up our bullpen bulletins page, we have the mighty, mighty Marvel checklist. And as always, we start with Strikeforce Moratori. Uh, number 15 gets no blurb. What a shock. I'm shocked and dismayed. Uh, <laughs> now, the X-Men line of books are still in the fall of the mutants. Uh, last time Man. out, we said that they were wrapping them up. Now we're still in them. So uh, I'm convinced that the fall of the mutants might actually last longer than Strikeforce Moratori at this point. <laughs> Feels like it. 
<laughs> it's going to be the fall of the mutants, the Mad Dog Ward, and then Strike Force. Uh, but but also they they had a couple of solicited that were at least a couple months off. So last time out, so we had yeah. Sledgehammer number one, which I bought immediately off the rack. Uh, but that had no blurb as well. Then no we had. Blurb. But we thought it'd be funny to mention that Sledgehammer had a comic because uh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy who made Sledgehammer? Who's a complete ass? I, I I don't remember his name, but I do remember that he did. He has gone on many uh, rampages. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't had a side word with him, but I haven't I also haven't reviewed Sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> True that. I liked it. <laughs> Even though it lasted only two issues, I liked it. Anyway. Was the second one, that one had a, had like a dude in a Spider-Man suit on the cover, right? That is correct, yes. They that were trying one I to, have. That they one were I trying have. to garner money because Spider-Man was in it. He's hanging yeah. in the window. Yeah. That one I do have. I don't have the first issue, but I do have the second. Now, you may not know, folks out there, that I am the proud owner of the first appearance of Wolverine. That's right. Hulk number 180. Yep. Number really? One, number 180. Oh, not 181. No, 180. I, I own 180. <laughs> you, have, you have the you have the. Let me check my Wizard magazine here. Uh, let's let's see what they what is, what does is, what does Wizard say here? Uh, oh, uh, cameo. Sorry, you you, you don't win. You don't <laughs> Screw win. Screw you, one. hippie. I do. It's the first appearance. Call it what you want. Anyway, on this one, Hulk 340, which actually pairs off Hulk versus Wolverine again, but. Uh, mm. People need to know that I have the first appearance, okay, in 180. Let me, let me check that again here. It's, it's a cameo, cameo. I hate people specifically who have Hulk 181. I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, you could buy the facsimile copy, get, oh, get, like, get like 10 of them, have them oh. all slabbed. And, and, then, right, uh, and then sell right, on, on eBay. Um, right, right, right now you can't you can't hear it, but I'm giving you the finger all the way from <laughs> Newfoundland to Arizona. I felt it. Uh, <laughs> also on the docket this month was uh, Thor 388. Now Thor loses his most prized possession. Gee, that uh, never happened over the course of time in that book. Hmm, I, I think that was the only that, that was the only that, plot point they ever did was I, Thor losing his frickin' hammer all the time. <laughs> I, I was thinking maybe he was losing that uh, like a creative team that people actually liked in, in Walt Simonson. <laughs> you know my thoughts on Walt Simonson Thor. <laughs> oh, I, I share them, but uh, but people for the most part yes, liked yes, you're it. You're right. You're right. <laughs> and of course, Daredevil, Born Again trade paperback. I like Love, I like Born I like again. I like Born Again. Yeah, oh, it's fine. Loved Born Again. That's yep. that's the that's the treadmill episode that that never happened. I I I wanted to do Born Again so bad. Uh, yep. That is such an awesome little story. But anyway, what else yeah. we got? We got ads, and not very yeah. many of them. Not very many. We only have I think we only have two ads for you today. Uh, but uh, one of them you're very familiar with. Yes. And this is a uh, this is one this is like a uh, I think Rob Liefeld planned this one because you have to turn your book sideways to look at it. It's a <laughs> it's a child holding a uh, spacecraft with a man, little action figure flying out of it while he is shooting a laser at his television screen. Now that toy that he has was the XT7 jet, and it's from mm-hmm. the show. And I know it well because it's a Canadian-American show, and it's from 1987 to 1988 called Captain Power and the Mm, Soldiers mm. of the Future. Now, this bad boy ran exactly 
22 episodes in Canada and the U.S. It was in syndication, of course. But what we're looking at here was the toy line. Mm-hmm. So this this kid had the toy that almost everyone back in 87, 88 wanted, and it was the uh, the good old XT-7 jet. Now, what was the big deal about Captain Power, you wondered? Well, it was an interactive toy that you can actually interact with the TV, Chris. Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. Yes. So you had, there was actually a whole line of video uh, of VHS releases that came with this thing. So it came with one which was like a demo tape with your jet. But there were also three ones you could buy. Now, they were called Future Force Training, Bio Dread Strike Mission, which is excellent, by the way. They can all be found on YouTube right now, by the way. And the other one is called Raid on Volcania. Hmm. So this was absolutely amazing so the whole idea behind it do you remember the light gun that came with the uh the nintendo yeah the zapper the exact same technology so basically yes so basically captain power itself was like a almost like a 3d um computer generated computer animated part live action television show okay about Mm -hmm. you know a bunch of uh uh, I guess guerrilla fighters in the future, or whatever, captained by Jonathan Power, and they fought. Uh, they were called the Soldiers of the Future, and of course, they were involved in a 20, 22nd century war called the Metal Wars, and they fought jo- um, uh, Lord Dread. So you know okay. that's that's what the entire show was about. But the the actual stuff itself were amazing. So the figures, you know, they were in, in the direct line of the three and three quarter line. So GI Joe and Star Wars, they were compatible friendly. Mm-hmm. But the toys themselves were great. So they interacted with the TV. So the the show was done in 3D, you know, CGI special effects, and they had light sensors in the show. So the show was full of like bright explosions and all that stuff that would calculate hits on your jet. So after okay. your hits took so many hits, after your jet got hit by so many so many hits or whatever, your figure would fly out of the cockpit and you're you're out of the game technically. Okay. okay. But you fought the same missions over and over because, you know, you're you're playing VHS adventures. Now you could also tune in to the TV show every week and play, you know, live with the TV show, which was kind of cool. Now the one thing that anyone with a grain of sense would understand was uh you just avoided all your explosions by just tipping your jet away from the TV and nothing ever hit you. (laughs) (laughs) So you took zero hits, baby. (laughs) You are a winner. Yeah. But uh, no, this, this was fun, man. Did you, uh, were you familiar with captain power at all or nothing at all? Nothing at all. I, you know, I, I want to say like, this kind of reminds me of, uh, God, like there was like a bunch of this sort of a thing, either cartoon or live action back then i remember like photon was one it was like a sort of like a laser tag sort yes, of thing in absolutely. space yes um just uh what was it photon the ultimate game on planet earth or something like that uh and then captain power i've heard of but i don't think i've ever seen it or at least i don't remember ever seeing it i know i never had the figures or, or the uh the, the the plane the jet I never had I never had the the jet myself and my brother had the uh, the Lord Dread basically um, the the evil version of the spaceship the black one one of the mm-hmm. bad things about the entire ship though was you know the trigger that that launches your figure out is very very touchy so okay every single time you were hit it sent like a reverberation through your machine you know what I mean it vibrated ah uh, so any time it could kick yes. you out. 
Yeah, so sometimes you didn't even get to your your number of hits that you were supposed to take, and your figure just went flying randomly, or it would just oh, it would just happen when it was just there. So I mean, there was lots gotcha. of flaws with it, but uh, the figures themselves were pretty cheap. They had little you know pin joints that were put together, and they had a weird combination of hard plastic and soft plastic. So the body was hard, and mm-hmm. the the arms and the legs were soft pliable plastic. So you could literally like bend them. It was really odd, but oh, cool weird. collection. If if you see them at a um, if you see them at like a flea market or something, grab some. They're they're worth having, man. You know, I remember uh, like the first line of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. They had that oh, yes. sort of hard, soft thing where, like, the bodies uh, and the tor- the torso and the like limbs, the appendages were all hard, but the heads yeah were, were squishy like pl- were squishy yeah. rubber. Yeah, it's like uh, I think like two or two or three out of my four from the original were squishy, and then like one of them had a hard head. Yeah. So yeah, it's very very uh, weird stuff there. It's uh, I, I love learning about this sort of stuff because this is uh, I, I never would have given this a second thought. This would just been an ad I would have went past. So I, I love doing this uh, this portion of the program and learning a bit more about uh, some of this stuff here. And the hopefully... show it, the, the show itself is all on you know it can be found anywhere any streaming service you see like a uh, a YouTube or a Daily Motion you'll find episodes of Captain Power. But sure. it's uh, it's readily available. Sometimes you've got a deal between mm-hmm. you know delve between the sheets a little bit because you know yeah. copywriters pull it down all the time but it's it's pretty pretty available How about that and uh our second and final ad is uh is a lame one it's a uh, chips ahoy stripes betcha by the stripe i don't know like i like chips ahoy cookies i don't recall ever having striped chips ahoy i i do remember them i do remember having them i remember uh like uh, these feel like the, and I'm probably conflating or, or, or contracting time in my mind here, but I feel like these came out and then like a month later, the sprinkled ones came out like the sprinkled oh, chips yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so like the striped ones kind of just like fell by the wayside because everybody wanted the sprinkled ones instead. So, so we don't have like here in Canada, the ones that I see on our grocery shelves right now are regular chips ahoy. Then you mm-hmm. have Chunks Ahoy, which is the ones with the, the larger chunks of chocolate sure. and more. Then we have the Soft Chips the soft. Ahoy. Yeah. And then you have those in a couple of varieties, so you can get them in different different flavors or whatever. But that's yeah. where it stops. So you cannot get striped. You cannot get sprinkled. I did find uh, like the most perverse cookie I'd ever seen ever uh, while oh. I was in the aisle that day. And it was like the Ultra Stuff Oreo. Like oh, this thing yeah. is like. This thing's like like four inches thick. <laughs> yeah, and it's like filled with white stuff in the middle. It's filled oh. with white stuff. Squoozed between oh the cookie. My. Betwixt. Betwixt the, <laughs> the cookie wafers. But I'm like, why 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 weren't these cookies out when I wasn't on a diet? Oh, I know. They're oh, so good too, man. But I like bet. you, you You've always dreamed, like when I was a kid and you had just a basic Oreo. Of course, I was the kid who popped the top off and licked the white out. And, the, okay. Yeah, at, I might take a small bite of the cookie and that, but normally that went in the garbage. Okay. But I always dreamed of, man, wouldn't it be great if you had like three times the white stuff in the middle? And boy, sure. do they exist right now. Yummy! Because I used to take the double stuff ones and I'd, I'd break them in half and then I'd put the two cream sides together. So I'd have oh, like a look quadruple stuff. Hell yes. yeah. I, I was always an in, in industrious young lad. And uh, that's, why <laughs> I, that's why I struggled with my weight as a grown-up. Um, but it's... I saw that cookie and it was like, you gotta be kidding me. There's just so many cookies now. And, uh, when I, before I started dieting a couple of years back, it felt like it was just boilerplate cookies. And now it's 
like there's carrot cake flavored Oreos and cinnamon bun flavored Oreos. It's like oh, man. world. Vanilla Oreos are so good. <laughs> oh man. Why God? Why? And the uh, the coconut ones. Damn. Oh, mm. but yes. can't eat them anymore. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably it. Um, the this ad here, uh, if if anybody cares, is a uh, is like a jumble, a word jumble thing. Um, where you can uh, put the words fudge, delicious, rich, chocolate, chip, cookie into order, which I just spoiled for you. Um, you bastard. I know. I, I just ruined the game here. And uh, if you put the, 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 the right coded letter together, you get the final statement here. Uh, you get the, you know, the, the final Jeopardy answer of Betcha by the Stripe. So. Yeah. Now, now these were they like were they dipped in chocolate as well? Because I know there are some like the the Keebler kind that have like the chocolate like back and the stripes. I, I don't know if chips. Well, I don't recall them here in Canada. I'm not saying they didn't exist, but mm-hmm. I do not recall a chocolate back Chips Ahoy. So okay, so maybe maybe I'm I'm conflating my cookies right now. But uh, yeah, that's a. That's it. Soup to nuts. Strike force moratorium number 15. Oh, right. <laughs> no, uh, we, uh, we had a, a good time doing this here. Uh, do you want to do any plugs? Well, certainly. Uh, I would like to plug my Twitter, which uh, you can check out my Archie fan club. Uh, yes. Days right right on my pinned tweet right at the top. So if you want to join the Archie fan club, I don't recommend it because you ain't getting my stationery, baby. <laughs> and you might spell your name wrong and edit your uh, edit your material anyway, so why, why not? Just just write them and tell them, hey, Archie, I'd like to write a letter, but why don't you just write one for me? <laughs> anyway, my Twitter is at Charlton underscore hero. And uh, you can find me uh, over here hanging out with Chris on Moratory Mondays. Uh, we recently did uh, over on the uh, with the Radlish and Broadcasting team over on the W2M Network. We did a WrestleMania recap as well. And uh, who knows when Superblog Team Up could pop up very soon. So uh, keep posted for that. And that is Chris Bailey for Moratory Mondays. Beautiful, beautiful. You can find me uh, a bunch of different places. Uh, over at Chris's on Infinite Earths, I had a very sobering and painful week um, this past <laughs> week. I I spent the past six days reviewing Flash Forward, the very recent uh, F- uh, Wally West miniseries from DC Comics, oh, which you poor man made me question why I still buy DC Comics um, because uh, I, and I think it, it came down to the fact that I'm an idiot and I am part of the problem. I do not recommend that series. And uh, if you do check out Chris's on Infinite Earths, you can uh, watch my descent into absolute madness over the pe- the course of six days. It's uh, not a pleasant read. It's not my best stuff. <laughs> but it's, but it's <laughs> It is good. It's really good to see you cut loose, sir. I really, really enjoyed every one of those. Yeah. I was with you. High-fiving you the whole <laughs> way through. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really uh, in... In, in the game for retweets from DC Comics pros, so I can, you know, pretty much say whatever I want. <laughs> that, that ship has sailed after that article. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But, uh, yeah, if you're interested in finding out why uh, I, I disliked it so much, you can definitely check that out at Chris's on Infinite Earths. You can also find us at chrisandreggie.com. Also find us at 90sxmen.com, where you'll be able to find all of our From Claremont to Claremont materials, uh, some written stuff, some uh, – well, we have the one episode out so far. We'll be uh, – putting the second one together in the coming weeks to have out hopefully the uh, beginning of may so look forward to that but uh i think that's just about all we got here uh, anything uh, else for the folks that is it my man take care be safe and we'll see you next monday see ya